This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Furminger. My mission is to pull back the curtain on Vancouver's film and television industry and expose its beating heart, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom style, by getting deep and down and a little dirty with the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work. Capital T, capital W. Today, we welcome Robert Cooper to the YVR screen scene hot seat. Robert Cooper is an unsung hero of the BC film and television industry. Or rather, it is my belief that people need to sing more about him than they already have because he's made substantial and important contributions to the Vancouver screen scene. Robert most recently created, wrote, and directed episodes of CBC's Unspeakable following Canada's Tainted Blood scandal. A lifelong dream project, the miniseries recently won the Leo Award for Best Dramatic Series. Previously, he served as showrunner of Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency for BBC America, Netflix, and AMC Studios. And I loved it. I loved it so much. I don't know why I'm whispering. Thank you. <laughs> it's an aside, but I really loved it. I was, we'll talk more about that after. But Robert was also showrunner for a little franchise that changed the face of the BC television industry, the record-breaking Stargate television franchise for MGM. He co-created Stargate Atlantis and Stargate Universe and served as executive producer, writer, and director of multiple episodes of all three series and two direct-to-television movies. Robert has also been nominated and won several awards for both writing and directing, including two Hugo nominations and a Canadian Writers Guild Award for Best Dramatic Screenplay. In 2009, he was presented with an Outstanding Achievement Award for contribution to the British Columbia television industry which was 10 years ago already is all I'm saying. You can see the legacy of the show in countless film and television productions that, that film right here in Vancouver, in the cast and the crews, in the fandom that's still burning bright, and even in this podcast studio where we've hosted Amanda Tapping, Paul McGillian, Jennifer Spence, Peter DeLuise, Peter Kalamis, Sharon Taylor, Mike Dopad, Paul Lazenby, and others who spent time in and around the Stargate universe. Recently, Robert was announced as showrunner for the Pacific Screenwriting Program's 2020 Scripted Series Lab. We'll talk a little bit more about what that means in a bit. So, to, And we're, today we're also going to talk about the hows and the what's and the why's of showrunning. We're going to step through the Stargate and speak about the unspeakable. And we're going to peer into the mind of this creative force and innovator, Robert oh. Cooper. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you. That was quite an introduction. <laughs> I told you before we started filming, I, I begin with a thesis statement. And then I, a lot of it I, I think I do because I love to see how people react when I say all those those right. things. And then I grill you about like, so what did you think about all the things that I just said about you? Well, I was making mental notes as you spoke. I mean, the first thing that occurred to me is that you chose to frame it by saying I was unsung, and it's funny because I can't sing a note. I don't have <laughs> any vocal abilities whatsoever. But it's more about other people singing about you. Yeah. You know, like writing folk songs about you. 
I, I mean, I, like, I know we're kind of making a joke, but I'm even somebody who I am married to someone whose very first job in the industry was rotoscoping the Stargate at yeah. Rainmaker. You know, there are people who work in all aspects of the local industry here, you know, who who worked on Stargate, who were influenced in some way, you know? Yeah, it's I, I, I'm getting a little older now and, and my memory does tend to fail at times and I find myself no longer um, saying nice to meet you to people in the business <laughs> because almost inevitably they'll look at me funny and say, I worked with you on Stargate. Yeah, and, uh, I recurred for many episodes on, yeah, <laughs> I did it, I did it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, just look at the, just look at the cast list on IMDb, it goes on forever. And, yeah. Uh, um, I take it as read that anybody coming in here has if they've been in the industry for you know more than a decade, there's got to be some some Stargate and and it's in there. You know when you're in it, when you're doing it, you're not thinking, oh my gosh, this show is going on forever. I mean, you are to some extent when you're trying to break stories and yeah. you realize you've kind of done it all already. But but you don't think, oh my god, you know we're we're making the long one of the longest running shows. Yeah, and. More hundred, more than three hundred episodes, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. Um, it's amazing. And you know, we, I, I just now you look back and you, you kind of almost it feels like another life. Mm. It's like, oh, that happened a really long time ago, and I'm not even sure it's real. Yeah. So, do you look at it then like there was a big chunk of your life that was like that was the Stargate? part of your life there's before yeah. and then during and then yeah after yeah and it, and and from a career point of view it was it, it was a it took a while almost to to get over it because your identity is so closely tied to it people hmm. think you're the stargate guy yeah and that's what you do and that your whole life and passion is science fiction and not that there's anything wrong with that but um you know you have a tendency to people want to stereotype you and so mm. it took a while to break that mold yeah um, and kind to of break out the gate and do some <laughs> things that were a little bit different because it, you, you don't get into this business as a creative person to do the same thing all the time and mm. and stargate was an amazing canvas uh where you could come in and basically tell a different kind of story every week you know stargate wasn't we always used to brag that stargate wasn't one genre it was all of them because you could you could really do anything any week but but still uh it's really nice to sort of stretch and and do some different things uh since then yeah well i want to go back in time to before Stargate. So if you said that you have listened to the podcast, yes. so you know we do some time travel. Maybe yes, we could even step through the gate. I don't know. There's some time travel sometimes involved, you right? Know, very rarely. <laughs> uh, we, we used to cringe every time we, we uh, considered doing a time travel story um, just because it's, uh, it's so complicated. Yeah. Uh, my brain used to hurt um, <laughs> really badly whenever we, it came up. Uh, and, and every once in a while, it was very, um, you know, it was irresistible because it's fun. But people used to think the Stargate was a time travel yeah. device, and it wasn't. It just took you from one place to another. Yeah. So. 
Okay, well, we're going to rig up a flux capacitor to the Stargate. Okay. And we're going to step through it. And we're going to go. I, I want to hear your origin story. I want to go, go and meet you when you were a little kid. Where are we? And what kind of kid were you? Uh, wow. Um, I watched a lot of TV. Yeah. Uh, I think my my parents uh, thought I watched too much television. Um, I think that I've told this story before. I don't I don't know how many of your viewers will have heard it, but uh, and it's not that unique. I think it happened to a lot of people uh, of my era. But my dad took me to see Jaws when I was seven years old, and um, seven. Yeah, I was I was pretty traumatized. My kid's turning nine next week. Like Jaws at seven seems yeah. It was it traumatic. Was not a, it was not a it was not a good thing to do <laughs> as a parent. Um, I think he just wanted to see it himself. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I didn't sleep for a couple of years. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's it's weird because my parents are, 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 are smart people and good people. And th- this story seems to be a bit of an outlier. Like, it, it, you know, it... it, it Kind of paints them in a in a in a way that they don't deserve. But the one of the solutions they had to try and fix the problem uh, was to expose me to a little more to the to the fear, right? To the to the thing I was afraid of. And so, so just to be clear, you saw Jaws, and when you say you couldn't sleep, like you ended up with you, it I was, was having so nightmares, terrifying and, yeah, for not you. Not sleeping. Uh, just I was I was always. I was always an imaginative kid. Yeah. Okay. So that can be detrimental when you're. A yeah. Kid. I yeah. mean, when I was, I think I was two. I saw Herbie the Love Bug, and and was afraid of cars for a period of time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I get it. <laughs> it was a, yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, you, you don't want the car to to start taking over and being sentient. I, I get it. Yeah, I think there was a commercial at one point for. Disney where Herbie ate Goofy and that just threw me off for a while. So, um, wow, 60s and 70s, man. <laughs> Those are like a crazy time to yeah, be a yeah, kid. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, they they made me watch this documentary uh, on on sharks. Um, it was called Shark Terror Death. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, anyway, I, I mean, look, on some level, uh, whatever, whatever <laughs> uh, you know, however you want to sort of psychoanalyze it, I just, on some level, I wanted to control the thing that was controlling me. And I, mm. and I sort of saw that as the sort of inciting moment where I recognized the power of um, movie making and storytelling. and Watching shark terror death what impact did it have on you then did it help you get over no your fear? no it just made it worse yeah, yeah. so you're like i'm gonna harness this for <laughs> yeah for i think good. they quickly realized it was a big mistake <laughs> i i we we've been over it and and they really honestly don't have an explanation for why they thought it was a good idea it was yeah. the era uh were were, the, were you, did you grow up in a creative family like yeah uh i mean as a as a younger person, my mom was a school teacher, um, but she always had ar- artistic tendencies and eventually uh, later in life became a, a, a designer. She designed fabric and- Oh, um, wow. So, I mean, it's, it's sort of there. It's there, uh, yeah. But also, uh, you know, I also sort of explored my creative outlet through um, 
through cooking actually, which my mom really encouraged and was was a big part of. We we always uh, I I still f- honestly if I hadn't you know succeeded at at, at uh, writing and, and television, I probably would have gone to cooking school. That's fat. It's gonna make me watch Stargate in a totally different na- way now. Anytime there's a kind of food scene or blue jello or, or something, yeah. I'd be like, oh, this is insight into Robert's it, psyche. It's like, still an escape. Like to me, like it's a creative outlet when the business is frustrating, which it can be, uh, or you get you know aggravated by it. You, you know, you need some other some other way of. Uh, kind of escaping, and that, that's always been a. It's always been one that my uh, my current family seems to appreciate. Yeah. Now, at what point then did you articulate, or did you ever? I am going to go into t- television industry. By the way, I said current family. I don't know why I said that because I have always had the same family. My, my wife's going to go. What? What do you mean current family? <laughs> Which, I just assume it's because you rejected your parents after they I, I traumatized to, you with yeah. sharks. No, 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 no. It was a weird thing to say. Yeah. I love it. That's the writer that's like yeah, editing. Yeah, I'm editing. I'm, 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 I have a note on what I just said. Oh, I'll have a whole bunch of notes after this okay. and, and we'll review. I So, okay. At what point did you articulate or did you ever, I am going to go into television? Uh. I just had, uh, I always wanted to do this. I mean, I've often had the conversation with people who are at that stage, uh, you know, what school do I want to go to? How do I, what do I want to do with my life? And it's like, I don't know which is harder, not knowing what you want to do or knowing what you want to do and have it be something that is really tough to get into. Yeah. Um, So, I I mean, right, I wrote, I've always been involved in creative writing. you know, I went to a summer camp where I was a staff and and I started a home video like uh, activity where it was like movie making. And I did that with the kids as a as an activity. And we made we made little movies all year. And then at the end of all you know summer and at the end of the session, we would have these, uh, you know, movie nights where we would show the stuff we had made. So it was it was always something I did. Did you have a genre that you were like, even that for your summer no, camp series? I mean, we did all making kind of, horror films. No, and I mean the two or? the two big <laughs> things that were sort of the most popular. Um, w- one of them was with the staff. It was it, it was called my it was called Tamarack Vice. The the um, the camp I went the to camp was, was, call, was yeah. called Tamarack, <laughs> and and it was sort of about the underground. Uh, tuck smuggling ring that was happening at camp. Tuck is like a, uh, what they kids call sort of the, the candy they get uh, occasionally. So it was con- <laughs> contraband candy that was being smuggled into camp by certain counselors and distributed for for money. And then and then there was like a a, a police force that was that was you know enforcing the the law. Uh, so that was that was that was one that was. And this was uh, just for our our millennial listeners. This was a, a takeoff on Miami, Miami Vice. Vice, right? Right. See, <laughs> so your your color popped. And now, were you the one who was setting up the scenarios, or were you in directing? Some cases, or? Yeah, in some cases, or in some cases, it, it came from from the campers. So yeah. the campers would pitch something and. Uh, they would then I would help them write it and and then uh, I would direct it and they would they would act in it and, then, and one of the other ones that we did it was a lot of fun was uh, was called ninja camp and 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 it was sort of a about a ninja training camp Whoa. 
was cool. The kids would 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 wear their T-shirts with their sort of the 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 hole for their head, you know, mm-hmm. pulled across their eyes, um, so they could they could look like ninjas. That's amazing. You know what I love too about that is that I'm assuming that in between, you know. High school, you probably in high school when you did this, right? Like high school and camp. It's not like you went to a film and television production school, like, but you were like, you were show running. Well, yeah, originally, and and, uh, and then I did. I mean, I ultimately did go to um, to film school at York University, but but yeah, I just found ways to, and it's what I kind of say to people now. I mean, we live in a time uh, when you can almost do anything, you know, with your iPhone and and you have the presentation capabilities with YouTube and TikTok and all the ways in which you can literally get your stuff out there. Um, like when I was when I was starting out, I, I really focused on writing because it was free. You could demonstrate your mm. abilities because it didn't cost anything to write. Yeah. Uh, I was always kind of jealous of musicians because that was it was a, a low cost way of getting your your whatever you want to call it your artistic expression out there but you know directing something was pretty expensive um, yeah. or it, it looked really bad uh, <laughs> but yeah. today that's different you know yeah. and so it, people kind of always ask me like you know how do I break in how do I how do I get a you know get a job and it's like creating your resume is easier than ever yeah. When you, you, you've used the words break in a couple of times. And that's often, those are words that people use when talking about uh, film and television industry. Um, but I, the way that I cut, when I hear break in, I imagine somebody with like, you know, like an ice pick and like, you know, and like hammering to try to get in as if it's this like, you know, fabled c- city that they have to really, you know, or, or go on this fellowship journey, you know, across the mountains with the hobbits and whatever to get to. Like, was it that arduous for you when you were, when you were break, quote unquote, breaking in? Well, um, you get a lot of no's. Like, yeah. uh, it's it's the ratio of, of nose to yes is extremely high yeah. and and it and in particularly f- uh, you know i didn't know anybody i was completely cold calling i was uh uh i took a after um film school i had actually applied to and gotten into law school as a backup uh i know it's sad <laughs> um, i mean and, that's uh, uh it's quite a backup it, yeah, and I, I mean, look, uh, I think it was more to make my mom happy than anything else. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I took a year. I wrote a bunch of stuff, uh, which was all terrible. But what the key word there is a bunch of stuff. Mm. And it's another thing that I often sort of use uh, when I'm talking to people about what to do. Um, I, if nothing else, I demonstrated my commitment and passion by not just having one thing that I was walking around with and saying, you know, this is the script. This is the only thing. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people do that. They write a, one pilot or one script and call themselves a writer. And that's yeah. not really what a writer is. A writer writes. And, and, and so I mailed these scripts all over the place and I actually got a response. And, and, and the response was, uh, pretty much what I just said, which is we think these scripts are not very good, 
Um, but we we see you know your your passion and commitment for it, and uh, we'd love for you to come in and and talk to us. So I I got an interview off of that yeah. and ended up you know working for a company in Toronto. Um, it was called Northstar. Uh, Peter Simpson uh, was. Uh, you know, his claim to fame was uh, the Prom Night movies. Um, oh, okay. He was quite a prolific producer, and I, I really owe him, um, uh, you know, and his wife at the time, uh, Alana Frank, who's now quite a, quite a big deal producer in Canada. Mm. Um, I really owe them my very first sort of big break. Yeah. Now, what did, you, what did you want when you were setting out? I mean, you're saying that you're writing and you're setting stuff out. What kind of career did you picture for yourself? Well, I started out honestly really wanting to be a director, which, you know, sounds like a cliche. Uh, yeah, I just want to do direct. Uh, and I sort of saw writing as a way, as like as I said, a, an almost economical way to get into that. Hmm. So, uh, you know, it didn't cost me anything to sit in my, you know, my room and, and type. So did you want to direct for film or for television? Or are you just like, just put me behind a monitor. I'm ready to go. Um. No, I, I, I mean, I was in love with movies, uh, yeah. and, and I think there's uh, that I was I sort of grew up in the, that era of the new age of blockbuster. You know, it was Jaws and uh, <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark yeah. and Alien and, um, you know, and, and like The Godfather, Rocky, like just big, larger than life. Yeah. Um, big movies. And. Uh, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, but, you know, television happened. And and I feel like my career has kind of coincided, you know, coincidentally uh, with that shift of what's happened to the movie business. And I, I, I hate to sound like, you know, the cranky old guy who's saying, you know, movies aren't what they used to be. Are you going to uh, Martin Scorsese me right now? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm not pointing specifically at any one franchise or type of film, but I do think that movies are different. Yeah. And and television is where, uh, the, you know, I just feel like the more the deeper character work is happening. Yeah, and, and when we say television, we're even saying you're saying "quote unquote" television because we're talking about streaming services, you know, as well. Yeah, that do yeah, that long form multi stuff that you watch yeah. on your screen at home. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> some some form of screen at home, and I, I mean, I, I kind of watched that era emerge, yeah. and 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 to some small degree felt like. You know, I was a, I, I, I got to be a part of it because we could tell stories on a much bigger canvas. Yeah. You could pay off something you had set up a whole season or two earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, one of my favorite shows um, uh, was The Shield, uh, the Sean Ryan, uh, Michael Chiklis thing. And, oh, so good. And uh, I mean, when you look at the, look at the um, writing staff on that show and see who came out of it and what they've done since it's I, I think it's one of the most amazing proving grounds for for like high-end television showrunners um anyway I, I mean season five of that show brought so many things together and it was it was just magical to watch how i don't i don't know i don't 
honestly think they had everything planned from the outset. Yeah. They might tell you they did, but <laughs> the way all those threads came together was just amazing storytelling. And, yeah. And you just, I mean, I guess you could do that in a fifth sequel, but um, you just don't see that happen very often. In yeah. Movies. Now, you, you arrived out in Vancouver at some point. Yes, 97. 97. So... Uh, X-Files was happening at that time, but it's still right before right before Stargate. Yes. So tell me about the, the Vancouver, what the Vancouver television landscape looked like before Stargate. Because even I arrived here after Stargate had already... Well, actually, I, I, I'm not entirely sure. I, I came out specifically for Stargate. That story, um, uh, I, you know, again, how do you break into the business? Yeah. Um, I had been working on a uh, a television show was my one of my first sort of longer running three months <laughs> uh, uh, TV gigs uh, on a show called Sci Factor, which was a uh, paranormal investigation show in which um, oh PSI Factor yes yeah okay uh, some people some some sci fi fans will remember the show because uh, Dan Aykroyd was the host. Uh, he used to interv- okay. you know he used to do the uh, introductions yeah. and sort of interstitial stuff Dan was a is sort of a big uh, uh, paranormal fan yeah I went to Queens so he was a big deal in Kingston yeah yeah, yeah. all over that town yeah. so my, my two of my daughters <laughs> go to Queens right now so awesome we can, we can talk about yeah that later, but, um, yeah no it's and my sister got her uh, de- medical degree in in, at Queens, so, and yeah, you went big, to York. My sister went to York. It caused all these issues in our in our relationship. Okay, rivalry. Yeah, look, total rivalry. Okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put York down, but Queens is better. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's so. Yeah, it is. It's a great school. Yeah. Um, the so anyway, what was I saying? Sci Factor. Oh yeah, came right. out here after your so I got stint. after Sci Factor. I got this uh, call from my agent saying, look, they're they're interested in talking to you um, for the show called Stargate. And I, I mean, of all the things I knew, it, it was that phone calls are not the same as when you're in person. You, mm. you just have a, an opportunity to read people and, you know, riff with them. And, and that the best thing to do is get in there and, and you know, if you have to desperately sort of grasp at straws you can whereas on the phone it's just easy to sort of say yeah okay thank you very much we'll get back to you and yeah and move on so i uh i flew myself out to vancouver from toronto in order to take that meeting yeah and i think that more than anything i said in the meeting was what got me the job yeah they were just so impressed that i would do that Show um, it showed you were committed it showed that you cared yeah i yeah. mean a lot of people you know, at at a, even a slightly higher level in the business, have this expectation that you know they're going to get uh, flown around and 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 you know catered to. So yeah. the fact that I would do that, um, and then that meeting, uh, in fact, was exactly what I just described, where I, everything I pitched was was failing miserably. Um, it, the meeting was with Jonathan Glasner and and Brad Wright, who who co-created uh, the first. Uh, uh, Stargate series uh, SG-1 and uh, Jonathan 
had this pad of paper on the desk and his pen and the pen was poised over the paper like he was waiting to write something some <laughs> anything brilliant idea that i had just uh come up with or, or pitched and i went through you know a whole bunch of stuff i think three i had three ideas that and, and the pen never moved oh. and, and then i started running down I, w I had my sort of wild card last ditch you know uh -huh. out their ideas and i got to i think the 10th one and and i was kind of like how about like like kind of an apocalypse now kind of thing and that he wrote he wow. finally, <laughs> and finally moved and i was like oh oh boy and then um and then brad uh took me on a tour of uh you know the we things were just gearing up like yeah. um they had written the pilot uh, they were about to sort of start figuring out the rest of the season and uh, but they had you know the facilities the offices he was they were shooting the outer limits so they were doing another show yeah and so he was showing me around and, and along the way he kind of asked if I golfed and I was like like again you know here's a here's a pointer if anyone ever asks you something like that uh, just say yes mm -hmm. <laughs> and then go out and learn how to play golf um that's how paul my husband became an editor oh yeah so, do you know how to to drive an avid he's like absolutely and right. then he went he went in like after yeah, yeah. hours at rainmaker and <laughs> right. studied up exactly um so Anyway, I so I think I think it was flying out and then saying I golfed much more than the actual idea I put. <laughs> uh, then once I wrote the the script, I think they um, uh, they thought I maybe had something. And there's something there. Ten points on. down. Yeah. I, I'm curious though because you know so Stargate. Uh, I mean, we talk about Stargate, the television series, but, you know, before it was a television series, it was a film, you yeah. know, like did that loom large in the in the those early days and weeks and months as something that you had to to think about or or reject or, you know, like what role did it play in the in those early? Well, Brad and John years? had a very um, clear idea of what they wanted the show to be, the tone of the show, which was a little different from the movies, uh, you know, and 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 who Jack O'Neill is. Yeah, some of that. Uh, I mean, a good part of that came from Richard Dean Anderson, too, yeah. you know. Um, but I think th the movie was, uh, an, uh, you know, a great jumping off point. It was yeah. it, it, it showed a lot of potential. That potential was never really fully realized. And that's where I think they and then ultimately we picked up the baton and and kind of ran with that. The, the Stargate, like, frankly, um, the Starship Enterprise uh, is just a great device. Mm. It's a great way of starting a story. It's a doorway. I mean, it's the it's a sort of almost a cliche way mm. of starting a story. Um, but it, it it we saw its you know its its potential from from a from a as a storytelling engine. Yeah. Now, at what point though? Because I mean, Stargate. So I so a, a couple of years ago I attended the Amanda Tapping convention in London, England. You know, to go and to write an article about Amanda uh, and in at a convention that is really 
started with Stargate, and there were people there from all over the world, you know, who had who had fallen in love with Sam Carter, who had pursued degree engineering degrees, you know, you know, and or pursued careers in the military because they were inspired by what they were seeing on screen. And I really it really hit home in a way that I don't think that I had really realized, even though I was married to somebody who'd worked on the show. You know, that the the globe spanning impact, you know, of the show, the fact that it was a a juggernaut. Like at what point did you did you realize that? And and was it a, you know, right place, right time, right moment in the zeitgeist? You know, like what was it about Stargate? Well, I mean I was gonna say it's universal. Uh it 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 actually, you know, it 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 was non-specific. It, it had a certain like. Look, there was a, the military aspect. The U.S. Air Force certainly had an American flag-waving aspect to it, but but it was really about all kinds of different people, and yeah. and it had that sort of universal, you know, angle to it that a, that people just appealed to, and and you know, we we also um, I think. Frankly, we we embraced uh, we tried to at least embrace diversity before it was even trendy. Yeah, uh, and, and trendy is a bad word to use for that. But well, before but there was more of I would say I'll give you a note a necessary uh, a shift. Hei- heightened awareness about yeah something that you know needs to should have happen. been yeah. you know more in people's the forefront of people's minds. Yeah. but but that we just did naturally because that was well to whatever extent you know the the, the acting pool in in Vancouver allowed but yeah. but you know from a storytelling point of view that's that's kind of how we also approached it and um and you know again uh, having a strong female character like like Sam um like Sam was was a you know, again, a, a, a very important thing for us, um, yeah. and and something that I know certainly in the latter years, as Sam kind of uh, took on more authority and power and actually became a general, yeah. um, that I've talked to Amanda a lot about, and I, I know she was uh, very proud of. It. We were proud of it too. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's funny that that we always had a bit of a. Uh, an inferiority complex on the show because the show wasn't a big hit in North America. Like it was, you know, it was popular when we would go to conventions and and uh, like you know Comic Con in San Diego. But the show was much more successful internationally hmm. than it was domestically. I mean, we were a little bit under the radar, which you know, in a way, almost. Hmm. Um, uh, we always sort of attributed somewhat to our to our longevity because there was almost like a low bar. <laughs> we, <laughs> we had certain ratings expectations. Amanda said something similar, kind yeah. of like like we were like like kind of like battle stars, like you know, like poor relation, and we got to have more fun or something, you know, as a right. as a I result. Mean, you know, there it we was didn't take never, ourselves as seriously. Well, and know. it was never. Like it was just honestly never a huge hit, uh, in terms of uh, what network we lived on, the type of publicity that we got. Yeah. Um, whereas internationally, I mean, we had you know ten to fifteen million 
viewers, hmm. uh, which at the time was a kind of a big deal on a week to week yeah. basis. And um, and then, you know, as as we kind of got on in 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 later latter years and, and into the spinoffs, it was you know continuing to have new episodes of new shows new uh series in the stargate franchise helped to fuel the sort of reruns so that's again what kept the whole thing going yeah what would you say the experience during that stargate time in your life changed you uh as as a as a writer as a showrunner like what what were some of the the like how did it imprint on you I, I don't, there wasn't any one specific thing. I mean, there were a number. Look, there's now when I go into any situation, I would say commonly, even when you know the shit hits the fan, people will often look at me and say, "How do you stay so calm?" or "How come you know what to say or what to do in this given situation?" And it's not always true. I mean, some of that is just you know a facade. But but that comes from that experience and yeah. again I, I i always hate frankly trotting out the the resume and sort of you know pegging the number of episodes but but that's like you know it's the ten thousand hours thing right yeah. how do you how do, it's experience uh it, it's n having been there had these situations happen and just kind of figuring out what to do but also just having the confidence to know that the problems are all solvable mm. like that i think that's the big issue a lot of people face is these problems come up and people panic or they they see it as insurmountable but when you know you've climbed that mountain before yeah you, you realize it can be done again and 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 nothing is gonna um you, you know nothing is sort of so so serious that you have to kind of give up um i i think this this next question is kind of like a, a fan service question because uh, you'll notice i haven't been asking about specific storylines or anything but of all the series all the characters do you have a favorite uh, just within the stargate franchise or yeah. the career as a whole oh uh wow i mean there are some uh, the the fan like actual Stargate fans are gonna find them kind of weird and esoteric. <laughs> um, what Paul McGillian's first character that he played, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, for various reasons, I, I have favorites because of sometimes because of the actor who played that yeah. that person. Um, you know, I loved having Dan Castellaneta on the show. Yes, I bet. Uh, his character in particular really resonated with me. I, I loved that episode, even though it was a clip show. Uh, in some respects, I kind of liked it because it was a clip show. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was one of the better ideas for a clip show I had ever heard. Yeah. Um, was my idea. Uh, but I, I mean, I just I just loved that character, this sort of beleaguered writer who's... Um, you know, very frustrated because all his ideas keep getting rejected, and and then it it turns out all his ideas are actually real stories that went on within the Stargate universe. <laughs> so, was uh, that a little bit of putting yourself on the on the screen at all? Uh, you know, any writer, uh, look, any writer is going to identify with rejection, yeah. and 
I'm actually, I've always been fascinated with that, that sort of question of where do your, where do your ideas come from? And, yeah. and that ether out there that we all draw from and the commonality sometimes of that, of those stories. Like, you know, how many times have I sat down and written something only to open deadline or whatever and see three other ideas that are exactly the same i mean that's not unusual yeah well we, is, there's mining of the zeitgeist as right, well right right which is not i mean again it's the 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 plot or the high concept is really not what makes the story worthwhile in, yeah in my mind it's it's going to be your personal take on it that character that drives it because uh, that's your own lens that you can bring to it that is unique and different. Yeah. Um, but that was one of them. Um, uh, I mean, there, there were there were so many. Uh, I, I mean, I I quite I quite liked uh, the direction we took with Universe. Yeah. Um, I just recently kind of revisited a little of that with uh, just thinking back hadn't in a while because. Uh, uh, Joe Malazzi, uh, if you don't follow his blog, is I great. follow yes. his blog. I'm and a fan Twitter. of his dog. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Suji is adorable. Suji's so uh, adorable. And has great street style. Mm. Yeah. Uh, let's not leave Lulu out of it either. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he just did a, a fan, like he was doing fan polls on your favorite episodes. So yeah. it, was, it was kind of fun to reminisce about those. And, and, and that, those were good times. I mean, we... we had an amazing time on Universe. It was uh, uh, everyone who worked on it felt like it was something special. And yeah, um, do you think it wasn't given a a fair shot? Uh, you know, it was it was judged. Uh, it was judged in comparison to the other shows. Yeah, and, and that's that's fine. I understand that people loved a certain thing, and then we were suddenly taking a bit of a turn and giving them something a little different. And yeah. Not everyone, not everyone liked the differences. Yeah. Um, but actually, when you when you kind of read the f the stuff now, uh, you, you know people seem to kind of uh, remember it fondly and think it was not necessarily given its due. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts about? And and we are going to take a break soon. We're going to talk about Pacific screenwriting, and we are going to talk about Unspeakable because it's like a whole other sure, a whole, whole other thing. Yeah. Um. But I, I feel like we can't. We would be remiss if we didn't address the kind of the swirl of energy around Stargate. You know, the last yeah. the last couple of years. Like, what what are your thoughts on on on, well, on yeah on the reboot? You know, and and would you you want to be involved in some way? Uh. You know, I, I think that uh, I think certainly given the climate uh, for retelling stories, there's no reason not to go back and and look at it. I would rather it be an evolution, yeah. not a, a literal reboot where they just redo the thing from yeah. from scratch. Uh, but on the other hand, I I guess I see the problem when something has sort of so much mythology attached it's kind of like you can't you can't go at it for a new audience who knows nothing about what's come before and yeah. try and you know be true to that i mean in a way you look at the way uh the you know sort of the new stream of star wars movies kind of started 
again. Yeah. Almost retold the exact same story uh, from from you know from a new hope yeah that was a, a big criticism for and also something that people celebrated about force awakens was it was literally the same story as yeah let's try let's try and do a reboot slash new thing and then yeah. introduce new characters and carry on from there and i think you know some version of that might be the best way to go but i mean i just you know in terms of my involvement i i have no idea whether anyone would even be interested in having me be involved or um that's not what i've been focused on yeah uh, you know i kind of sort of i've come to a place in my career where i used to feel like i could do anything i wanted like i was i just you know i would have many ideas on the go and I would be just kind of pursuing all these different avenues. And I think now I've started to look at it and realize that the the canvas I have to paint on at this point is limited. Mm. Uh, I only have so much I can do and I'm, I'm trying to be a little more selective about it. Yeah, which is a, a wonderful moment, I think, to take that break. Sure. And uh, when we come back, we will talk about uh, your role as the showrunner in residence for the Pacific Screenwriting Program. It's Great. a big title. It needs to be spoken mm. with with that kind of re revenance. Um, and uh, let's also talk about Unspeakable yeah, uh, as well, because we haven't talked about it yet. And I feel like we're it's I don't want to say it's the elephant in the room, but it's, you know, it's <laughs> it's it's a, a big and important project. All right. Well, so I'd let's love, give it love its to. due with revenance. All right. Let's take that break. This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com. So you have this big title with the... Pacific Screenwriting Program, which is a relatively new organization, yes. which in a lot of ways, like when I heard about it a couple of years ago, I think it was a couple of years ago, I'm like, wait, we haven't had anything like this out here? That's yeah. bonkers to me. Yeah, I mean, look, we we who uh, love Vancouver and work in the industry have always seen uh, a deficiency, uh, a lack of uh, creative origin taking place in BC. Mm. Um, BC is very much a service town, and for people who are listening who don't really, you know, aren't familiar, as familiar with the industry, it's like a lot of a lot of the television shows that get shot up here are creatively generated from LA. Yeah, uh, they're American shows, or sometimes you might get, you know, a co-pro, but it's rare. 
And, and you know, when we were working on Stargate, I mean, I was an import. You know, I came from Toronto. Yeah. Um, it was hard uh, to find writers here. And, and obviously it costs money to to bring people from elsewhere. You have to relocate them. They have to be willing to relocate. Yeah. If they have families, uh, kids in school, they're not necessarily going to want to. Mm. Um, it's, it's really tough to put a room, uh, a writer's room uh, here. Yeah. Um, and yet, you know, for someone like me who, who wants to live here and wants to make television, uh, it would be great if I had writers uh, sort of hanging around uh, that were willing to come and work on shows yeah. uh, and I didn't have to go to LA or pay to bring people in and and uh, you know the BC government has been really great at trying to foster um, uh, it, you know domestic indigenous BC uh, uh, television and, and film and and they're you know there have recently been changes and 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 more incentives in on the writing front in terms of tax credits. We just need the writers. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Brian Hamilton has been amazing. He's uh, he's our chair. He's been you know the the sort of energizer bunny of the program and uh, deserves all the credit. Uh, in the world for helping to get it started. Also, uh, Liz Shorten at the CMPA. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, support from the from the WGC. Um, uh, this guy who I'm friends with from another show that you mentioned, Dirk Gently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Rick Jacobs down in L.A. Uh, they're, they, uh, he's part of a company called Skybound, which has a, a division up here, which is doing very well. I'm but, familiar but, with Skybound, yes. Yes, but... but <laughs> You know, all of us uh, saw this need, saw this, um, you know, a reason to try and develop a screenwriting community here in Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, and so while it seems like we're all sort of putting in time in a somewhat philanthropic way, yeah, uh, it's selfish too, you know. Uh, yes, we want to give back. We want to develop young people. But... It was something I kind of learned really early on from Brad and Jonathan. Um, they gave me every opportunity to move up to teach me how to be a writer, producer, not just a writer, but a producer and gave me the opportunity uh, and freedom to direct. Yeah, it, it's it's you know, it's it's how you alleviate your own uh, stress, you mm. know, it, having other people help you um, and, you know, move on to be to be uh, showrunners of their own. I mean, that's one of the things I think we're all quite proud of uh, mm. more than any other aspect of, of the success of, of that franchise is the is the people who have now kind of come out of Stargate school and gone on to be incredibly successful people. Yeah. When you don't have that mechanism that sort of playground to to teach and place to learn you kind of have to create one yeah. and and so that was the goal of the uh of the PSP was to to sort of um you know give people who are on that cusp uh, have that passion 
uh, have the talent, but don't necessarily have just haven't quite broken through. Yeah, uh, there's that word, that phrase yeah. again: break yeah. in, breakthrough. Yeah, well, yeah. because you know, I think you often see the the sort of the fruits of that, right? You see when someone has broken through that barrier. Yeah. Suddenly now they're doing all these things and they're successful, but you don't you don't often see that that journey they got that went on before that. Yeah. You know, that struggle, all the no's they got. And so so that's our, our sort of goal is to sort of go but there's there's institutional education where you can go to, you know, very good film schools and very good writing schools, uh, at a at a, you know, kind of university level. Yeah. But but even I, I've always felt, and I, my own experience uh, was that the the universities are not as are they're good at teaching you a little bit about uh, who you are as an artist or a writer, um, craft, craft, yeah. But they're not really well integrated into the industry, and mm-hmm. so as industry people, we felt we wanted to from the other side help bridge that gap yeah um and and we have featured some of those voices here on the wire screen scene podcast including dennis heaton including rachel langer who's somebody that i've watched kind of break through to the point where now she goes to writing rooms across the country she leaves vancouver and goes and populates writing rooms across the country because of the uh, because of the skills, because of working on her craft, because of the, the the voice that she's been developing as well, um, which also like is is that something, you know, like so we're we're talking about you know uh, about breaking through, but what about developing a voice? Like, is there a specific uh, attitude or voice that writers who are based in Vancouver either need to develop or need to like tamp down at all? You know, like is is do they need to embrace kind of a you know what? Yeah, I mean, local? look, that's what's going to make you unique and stand out. Like yeah. I said, if you're just trying to emulate some American, you know, procedural, mm. chances are you're not going to stand out in the stack of scripts. Whoever the agent, producer, network is reading. I mean, you you need to find a way to be unique and and the most you know unique thing is who you are yeah and you know it's a I will we'll you know talk about this in the program with the students because then unfortunately uh usually what happens is your first job is you having to kind of then blend in and mm. emulate someone else's voice which is a skill that yeah. actually you have to work on is how to come in and write a stargate you know, yeah. and 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 somehow at the same time, bring your passion, your voice, something that is uh, who you are, yeah. uh, to the to that process. Yeah, uh, so, sounds like such a balancing act too, like serving yeah. a, a and emulating a showrunner's voice and vision while also being being truthful and authentic you know to who you are and, and offering up what makes you special and you right i mean my first so my advice to someone who has you know not yet had a job and is just looking to get some attention is put the quintessential you on that page yeah uh may, you know make it you know the tone the 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 thoughts you have what you believe in and and you know the other thing i i kind of often press people on is you know do you have something to say? And mm. you know, if you're just 
if you think, oh, writing looks like a good job to have, I'd kind of like to make money doing that. It's it's not going to serve you that well. Um, not to say that you want to jump up on a soapbox and, you know, hit people over the head. Yeah. With this is what I think and feel about. Now, I, I'm wondering. But, that, that, but again, you know, to go back to our conversation earlier, a little bit about, frankly, about yeah. diversity yeah. is that, you know, why, you know, I mean, it's, it's important, but it's also a source of story that audiences haven't had the opportunity to really see yeah. or hear. And so, again, you know, I've talked to to writers through through the events we've put on thus far where they're like, yeah, but is anybody going to want to see? I don't see me on the screen. And so my assumption is you know, nobody wants to see that. Mm. And I think that's wrong. Yeah. I think they do. I think we're we're just currently dealing with a a systemic problem in which that's not being translated to the screen enough. But we're certainly seeing the push now yeah. where, uh, yeah, where those stories and characters are getting to the screen and audiences are very happy to see it. Is there a regional voice? That, that you're finding in writers' rooms? Like, is there, is there like, especially somebody who has worked across the country, like, is there a distinctly Vancouver voice? Uh, I wish there was. I mean, not maybe not as much as there is on the Far East Coast. Yeah. You know, I think that, I think geographically, you have a lot of, um, I mean, Vancouver people are going to hate me for saying this, but I mean, Vancouver's a, 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 a lot of transplants here, frankly. You know, well, we both are right. Like, yeah. And so I think I think like Canada uh, in in proximity to the U.S., uh, we struggle with what is our identity, whereas yeah. very when you look at um, international shows that have very distinct and strong industries and identities like, you know, England, yeah. the British shows or Australia, um, it's because they're geographically isolated to right. some extent. And, you know, one of the things that's so great about BC is how sort of diverse it is. And, um, but that diversity, I think, leads to a lack of singular identity. Yeah. So it's a trade-off, right? Like, I, I, don't, I don't know that it's a good or bad thing, but it's certainly, you know, we don't have a strong accent here that's universal that sort of makes us stand Oh, out. you're a Vancouver person. Not like yeah, exactly. Not like Republic of Doyle. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, to to tell a specific, you could certainly identify and tell a specific Vancouver story about yeah. what it's like to live here, but um, but it's not going to look and feel the same as say something that's coming out of uh, you know, PEI or New Brunswick. Or, yeah. I don't know. Of everything you've made, I would say that Dirk Gently really looks the most like my experience of Vancouver. <laughs> well, you Imagine know, we, if that were true. <laughs> we, we, we are, you know, look, we, we, you say a lot of things for the sake of marketing and publicity, right? Yeah. You're, you're, you're touting your show. We used to say about Dirk that, well, there's nothing like it on television. And it was one of the first times I ever felt like at least that was 100% true. You know, <laughs> yes. there's, there's literally nothing else like it, for good or bad. Uh, for good. And then that was, difference between season one and season two, wow. It was like, it was the sort of show that, you know, 
you could, peop, when people loved it, they really loved it. Oh, I am in the parlance of, of the millennials. I, I stan that show. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, it was so again, weird. again it, it went for it, right? And so when it, it when it hit the bullseye for you, it hit it strongly and resonated and it was different and um I think people are are tired of the same old thing and want something fresh and fun. And, yeah. Uh, and that's you know that's what we tried to give them. What I loved also about that show, especially as somebody who's been writing about this industry for so long, is the fact that it it uh, prominently featured a lot of Vancouver actors as well doing yeah. stuff they'd never yeah. done before. People like you know we've had Michael Eklund and Viv Leacock and Alex Ponovic and Lee Mush yeah. like and uh, like it's it was very exciting to see to see them. You know, in that way, because it wasn't like a lot of those, you know, the American shows that come in and we're going to put like everybody's like, you know, eight or lower or lower on the on yeah. the cast sheet. Right. So, yeah. And I mean, I, again, uh, I will humbly take a little bit of credit for that having pitched, you know, there was um, there was no real there was no real need from a from a Canadian content perspective to use the Canadian talent pool. Yeah. Um, I, I just knew that it was there, and, yeah. and uh, it's uh, that, that that they were, you know, it was a, it was going to be a showcase for them, and and I know people. I've never worked on anything, even you know, frankly, Stargate, which I know has gave people a lot of opportunities and loved working on it. People just loved working on Darkness. It was just like, as an actor, how often do you get to? do stuff like that yeah or David, David Lewis I'm thinking as well I got to do some like just yeah. I mean the word that I keep going back to is bonkers yeah because um, that show was bonkers well, and, and, I keep, and I recommend it to everybody still I'm like you want to go and have a satisfying journey over two seasons that's the show for you well and again going from a back to a sort of a writing perspective the biggest challenge and what people certainly were most nervous about going in and when I say people I mean studio network folks yeah. was they saw the tone on the page uh, but how do you translate that into like it could have been a disaster yeah. like it could have just gone horribly wrong casting is a huge part of that and, and our main you know five six were unbelievable just sort of some of the nicest people you'll ever work with too that's good um, to hear yeah, and uh, it was a uh, it was uh, in ma in many ways a, a joy to work on. Let's talk about unspeakable. Sure. Uh, because that was the other time that you and I have spoken before was yes. uh, in the lead up to that. Yes, uh, thank you for that. Totally different interview. Yes. Um, as well, and uh, actually we had Camille Sullivan in here. Uh, she spoke uh, at length about her experience working on. On yes, that particular show, and uh, she—it was she was wonderful. But you know, she like a lot of people uh, wasn't too aware about the tainted blood scandal when it happened. And so, you know, you and I had spoken before the series aired. Let's talk about the experience of it of it airing and the kind of feedback you heard from people. Um, sure. I mean, look, it was uh, it was. A very personal story. I think yeah. we talked a little bit about that. We last can time. review I, some yeah, of that. With I the mean, listeners. I, I uh, without, I don't want to, I don't want to hold bring the whole conversation down too much. But um, I did go for kind of a big, severe yeah. like turn there. <laughs> yeah. was, it's no, so I unspeakable. Mean, and now we're going to get very depressing. Uh, was it depressing though to no. sh to share your story in that way? No, and 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 I felt 
it again when you when you when you dig into the material to the real people when you watch the show i think one of the messages was that there is no catharsis it's not like oh i'm going to tell this story and everything's going to be better yeah there's no getting over that type of thing it felt important to put up a signpost and and point at it and say that happened because uh it felt like it was being forgotten and that there were gener a generation of people who knew nothing about it yeah um it felt like there were lessons to to learn from from the story and from what happened that resonated with a lot of what's going on today with a uh you know questioning of fact and truth uh mm. And, oh gosh, and that's even more resonant now than it was uh, when we spoke, whatever it was, yeah, 11 I mean, it, months ago. Yeah, it, it was. Um, so, so all those reasons, but from a personal perspective, you know, no, no television show could ever really do justice to the reality or to what happened. And yeah. no television show is going to make it all better. Um, it, it, it was a disaster, you know, yeah. and it was it was something that was horrible to have lived through. I, you know, on the other hand, I'm unbelievably lucky to have lived through it and be sort of able to tell that story. Yeah. To literally uh, have s survived it. Cause... Yeah, but then, you know, as much as I even have, you know, I deal with survivor's guilt, if you want to call it, mm -hmm. uh, I also look at it and go, I, I uh, I was worried from the get-go that I was taking on something that I could only fail at. You know what I mean? Like mm. I, I felt like there's no way this could ever be what it needed to be to to kind of pay tribute to the people who died, to yeah. the families who suffered. Um, and you did. I mean, it, it was an eight-part miniseries, if I'm remembering yeah, that's right. correctly. And and you know, to speak to the cast a little bit, um, many of people from 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 the community and from from Stargate and Dirk in very different roles. You know, if you looked at Dirk, people were excited and, you know, threw themselves into those roles with reckless abandon yeah. and fun. And then they came to Unspeakable and they were honestly so heartwarmingly grateful to be a part of it. I think it's a rare opportunity in Canada to tell a story that's a little more meaningful that's about us as Canadians and yeah. um but they were all everybody was you know frankly a little nervous like they were they didn't want to let anyone down yeah. they wanted to do it justice and get it right and i think we all felt that and you know i always sort of place very sort of high expectations and and i'm probably more self critical than even other people are critical of me mm -hmm. uh so i mean look it was the 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 people in the community the people who were directly affected uh horace creever who participated in i mean those people the feedback from them was you know it's, it's really hard to put into words how much you appreciate that when they they recognize what you did and 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 feel like you you know did a good job um i mean i i i i guess if i was to uh you know kind of 
try and put a pin on it. I, I hope it's a, it's a show that continues to uh, be there for people so mm. that as, a, as, a, as an educational tool, but also just as a marker to say, you know, hey, there's some some record of this uh, in this some happened. way. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, people have asked me, well, and, and actually a lot of people when we were doing the show and promoting the show were, were calling it a documentary and we're like saying, oh, you're a documentary. And I'm like, well, it's not, it's not a documentary. It's a it's a fictional show uh, based on reality, inspired by reality. Um, but I actually got asked the question, well, why didn't you just do a documentary? And it, and I, and I I said, well, I, actually, I'm not a documentary filmmaker. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of feel like, weren't you like, I, I mean, I guess this is just me maybe romanticizing the process, but it was almost like you had to go through the experience of doing all these other shows and do it and in that kind of narrative realm in order to like be ready and prepared to have those actors, to have that experience, yeah, to be able to tell the story with the gravitas. Yeah, and, there was a point at which, I mean, I literally, well, it, there was there was a little more to it in that, the you know almost immediately after I was cured of Hep C, so after my third treatment, uh, the that, one that worked, the one that worked, uh, that was when I sort of came to a place myself, uh, not just from a career experience point of view, but from a life experience point of view, where I was willing to take that story on, because mm. you don't want to you don't want to live with it. You're living with it on a day to day basis. You don't want to also then focus on it from a work perspective plus I, I felt like I would ha bring a bias to the story and I probably did anyway but yeah but that would have been unfair yeah much uh, more restrictive before. And, yeah and so I, I needed to step back a little bit I needed to have that perspective but once I got once I got kind of the clean bill of health I felt like okay now I need to tell the story and I've always felt that I mean look there are some unbelievable documentaries which have changed the world and will mm. continue to do so. I love documentaries. Um, but I think that fictional storytelling has a way of engaging you emotionally that has an impact on you. Um, and that's what I was going for. I mean, if if we couldn't get everything into those eight hours, uh, you know, at the very least, I wanted to get an emotional reaction out of people, yeah. and 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 frankly, the challenge was was getting people to actually watch the show, because I think when when you sort of bring up uh, kids dying and AIDS, it's 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 they're what, like, yay, okay, must see TV, let's watch. People perceive it as medicine. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like a difficult subject matter. Um, but frankly, people who watched the show were, you know, surprised a at how watchable it was. It doesn't. I don't think it dwells too much on the on on the um, you know in a gratuitous way on yeah. the un, more unpleasant side of it. But but it 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 engages you emotionally, not just in a sad way, but in a. Uh, an angry way and in, in an activist way and yeah. saying I can't I have to take some responsibility for for not just me but the people around me my children the people I care about uh, the world yeah. because, because we can't be not, complacent yeah other stuff's gonna slip through uh, you know slip through the cracks and so I mean it, it's I, I went you know I went I was 
I went golfing and got paired up with this uh, uh, this threesome that I had never golfed with before. Oh, you and golf I for do. real now? Yeah, I do golf for real. It's a it's a product of my Stargate days and uh, occasional outlet. Um, and I, you know, th- this guy asked me what I what I did, and and he said, "What are you working on?" And I said, uh, uh, "He was a doctor, by the way." And I said. Uh, oh, I, I'm a writer. He said, what are you doing? And I said, I, I did the show called Unspeakable for CBC. It was about the Canadian tainted blood scandal. And he's like, oh, yeah, I, w- I would never watch that shit. And it, and it's like... Well, <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Great. And, you know, but that's the challenge you face when yeah. you're trying to tell a story like that is that... And I even had a... I had a, a marketing executive um, who actually said to me at one point, yeah, yeah, AIDS is a tough sell. Wow, you don't say. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's just lovely. Honestly, like I I mean, and this is somebody I say this as somebody who spends some time in the realm of publicists as a publicist, but you don't want the people in marketing deciding what you're going to be watching and making those kind of creative decisions. No, and then you you know, you look at at like what what won the Emmy this year and it was, you know, Chernobyl. I mean, I don't, yeah. you know, <laughs> set set in a foreign country with people speaking, you know, well, frankly, with British accents. Highly accented that, British, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In, in, in Russia. But, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it's, there are, there are stories where um, I think, you, you know, you can look at things that happened that were unpleasant, but, yeah. but still make it watchable and still, have there be some value in it what is a robert cooper story it's funny we were, i was just talking about this with someone yesterday uh i've always had a bit of a problem you know going into meetings where people ask me like you know who are you what do you want to be as a writer um i always i mean i, I would say if there are themes that i'm attracted to it, it's uh mortality is one of them uh has having been someone who was introduced to their mortality at a very young age and grappled with that uh throughout my life um i think i i that struggle has always been something that's been really fascinating to me yeah uh and and i think you know morality is another one that i that i often there's a theme that sort of wanders in it's and you know that's a that's a very general thing but it's it's really more moral dilemma, you mm. know, the decisions that people have to make in their life. I mean, you, you, you're always anytime you're at one of those crossroads where you have to sort of figure out what's the right, right way to go. And you're not always given the easy answer. Yeah. Um, what do you do? That kind of strikes me. But but honestly, you know, what I kind of have focused on and it sounds very broad is great characters. I'm fascinated by uh, the stories about people, and a lot of them come from, frankly, from you know true stories from from nonfiction. Is mm-hmm. is people who have done amazing things. I looked at some of the heroes that I came across, in, you know, in researching Unspeakable, and that was incredibly inspiring to me. Uh, I'm fascinated by people who have done incredible things in their life that stand out that are sometimes not necessarily highlighted but uh that is far more interesting to me than than um 
you know, just high concept storytelling. Yeah. <sighs> Robert, I mean, I think we could talk and talk and talk. And I, st I have many follow-up questions. Uh, but you're just gonna have to come back. All right. Um, I, I, I do. I, one last follow-up question, sure. though. Have you been able to watch Jaws? Oh yeah. In the and intervening years. Just recently watched it with my two older kids. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I we I have a like a list uh, of my favorite movies, and I, I work through that with them because yeah. I want them to sort of see the movies that I liked. Yeah. Um, and uh, but there's always a bit of a hesitation because a does the movie hold up? Yeah. Does it have culturally inappropriate content that they're mm -hmm. going to react to? Um, and that that process is always interesting because yeah. to see did a movie does a movie have that impact? And it was actually really uh, it was a, Jaws was a good one because they were like, oh yeah, that's that's actually pretty good because yeah. they'll watch a lot of movies that I want them to watch and they'll be like what what are you why did you make me watch that, that oh movie? yeah i just i've realized recently that a lot of the movies that i love that i'm trying to show to my daughter don't hold up right. and that i i like movies like goonies like um indiana jones and the temple of doom are those are both delightful jaunts but they are also incredibly problematic for lots of reasons oh, yeah. and i'm like wow a lot of the reasons i love these is just because of nostalgia you know unlike a movie like the princess bride which totally holds up yes. you know but that's that's kind of an outlier in far as my list of favorite movies that my daughter yeah, is field of to. dreams have you watched that one no not with her no not yet she doesn't really trust me how old is she uh she's turning nine okay yeah. yeah and she i mean frankly she has such wonderful she she's been seeing movies in theater since she was three years old and so she takes she's has wonderful i've she, she has a very well-rounded uh, education i think and when she gets a little bit older i'll be able to i'll have better movies to show her but the movies yeah. that i loved when i was eight and nine like they're just not they do not hold up and i just i guess had a happy childhood in the 80s so i thought that she would like them too but not quite the same yeah i mean look you know times change but if you look at them and that's often also what I try and say um, both my kids at Queens are in a film history class mm. right now and the first film they watched was Citizen Kane which was on my list but we never actually got around yeah. to watching and I knew they wouldn't enjoy it but I said look you have to you have to understand that this was a first right yeah. like imagine this is the first time that ever was, you know, committed to film. Yeah. Um, so you kind of have to admire the invention of it. You're going yeah. back in time and watching the invention of the telephone. Yeah. You know. Man, it's kind of rough though to realize that a lot of the films that I love is it's really a history lesson to my child. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Talk about your uh, mortality and morality. Disney Plus is uh, put put a uh, disclaimer on a number I, yeah. of their movies that, yeah, we're sorry, but <laughs> times used to be very different. Yeah, well, and honestly, in a lot of ways it is, it's good. All right, Robert, are you on social media? Uh, not really, sort of. You're sort of? So uh, if our show, fans want to- The show Unspeakable, um, uh, at Unspeakable TV, uh, both on Twitter and Instagram. Okay. Um, and, um, <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, the show is um, still available on Gem. Um, we've, I love uh, Gem. 
That's a great app. Yeah, I mean, uh, show's done very well uh, award-wise, and we're still hoping for more. I think uh, you don't make this type of show aiming for awards, but um, inevitably the performances that we got were unbelievable and uh, well-deserving. And, and any sort of recognition that helps the story get out there and, and uh, get a little more attention is uh, is very welcome. So Yeah, and I don't think we that. were... We weren't, and it's explicitly clear in both articles that I wrote about this, but we didn't mention it here. Like, this story, it's it's told over a new, like, it's eight episodes that tell a story of what happened over many decades. And yeah, so were, somebody like Camille Sullivan, you know, had to play a lot of different ages. ages. I think almost 40 years, yeah. 35 years in the show. There were a lot of production challenges as far as that goes, and uh, that was all, that was all a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're just, you know, we just, we just want people to uh, know the show's out there, and um, and uh, I know Camille and and David are both up for uh, uh, actor UBCP awards, uh, which is coming up very soon. So good that, luck to yeah. them; they're very deserving. If if the voting is on November twenty third, yes, yeah. um, I think this is actually going to run after. So we'll we'll uh, check the YVR screen scene a Twitter feed to see Put how an addendum how on they to did. Congratulate them on their wins. <laughs> No, you know what? And I, I just I've I guess in my mind, I associate David Lewis as being this comedic actor, like which we also saw in Dirk Gently, you know, and then for, for him to really put in a very powerful like he's a great dramatic actor, too. And he's it was great to see and he's such a, a such an amazing guy. Uh, do I have time to tell one quick story about him? Of so, course you so, do. <laughs> yeah, my my uh, everybody knew how much of the show was you know based on my own experiences in some fictionalized way um so they were all kind of excited when my parents came to visit set and they were sitting behind the monitor and it was a scene in um uh in the in in the office of the character played by david lewis and he he did a big take and then came running out to the monitors and asked my mom was that okay for you and you know it was just, you know, it doesn't sound like that big a deal, but it was kind of a special so thing. I can imagine did. David doing yeah, that. Yeah. That's great. We're going to get him in here as he's, well. He's an amazing guy. So funny. Yeah. Um, he grew up in a bar. <laughs> did you know that? Yeah. His parents met at one of the, uh, the at the Waldorf. They both worked there. And then he, like, he was a toddler, you know, running around that bar. Yeah. I so love that I mean, story. there's so many. Um, and then, again, you, you know, you deserve so much credit for shining a spotlight on a lot of these people because they deserve it. Um, it's you'll be you'll be I'll be out with David and inevitably somebody will look at him and go I think I know you and they're not quite <laughs> sure what from but yeah. the truth is it's from probably a dozen things yeah um, and he's amazing in all of them and it's that's that you know you could say that about countless people who are working tirelessly in 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 this community yeah which so. is why i will never run out of wonderful people to talk to because yeah. i love to hear everybody's story everybody has a story all right we're gonna leave it right there um i would also encourage people to check out joe malozzi's blog oh yeah <laughs> he posts and also on twitter feed Baron he po- on twitter yeah and he posts a lot of really bizarre food items as well which are he's always like should you eat this yes or no and it's usually something that's fried and with cheese, and I would eat it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so follow him on Twitter. Um, please follow us. We are on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at YVR Screen Scene. The YVR Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive produced by me, 
I'm Sabrina Firminger, and it's edited by Simon Firminger. We give special thanks to Tyson Braddock and Paul Firminger, our family business, for technical support. YVR Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut!